Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Rick Watson, the founder and CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting. RMW was founded in February of 2019 after Rick spent the last 20 years as a technology entrepreneur and operator exclusively in the e-commerce industry with companies like Channel Advisor, Barnes & Noble, and Merchantry. On this episode, Rick and I talk about how he helps investors and management teams grow their digital commerce initiatives from assessment to planning all the way through execution. Here's our interview now. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Alex. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about your company, RMW Commerce Consulting? Yeah, so the company was founded about four years ago, really on the back of me having been an entrepreneur and operator in the e-commerce industry for the past 20 plus years. And I really work with two types of companies. One is private equity-backed brands in the middle market to help them create plans to grow their digital commerce channels and to help them execute those changes that are required to realize the results that they want. So that's sort of about half of the business. And the other half of the business is actually work with e-commerce software providers, usually venture-backed. Some of them are private equity-backed. A lot of times they're between Series A and Series C. A lot of it is around go-to-market strategy. How do we help explain our message to the market better and then actually go to market through sales and marketing tactics to do that in the most effective way possible? Usually a lot of times technology companies Uh, They know a lot about technology, but they don't know a lot about sales and marketing. And so having been through a lot of that in my own history really helps me guide founders to things that could help grow their software companies faster. And other people that I've talked to that are kind of in a similar position of yourself in terms of understanding, clients don't always understand sales or marketing as well. Part of the difficulty is is that they have tried certain techniques or tactics in sales and marketing. It didn't work. And now that idea is pretty much off the table. And it's part of your responsibility to come in and make sure that you know, that can be put back on the table if executed properly and kind of the difference between those two things? Yeah, look, there's a million reasons that an idea can fail. It doesn't necessarily always mean that the idea is bad. There could be some kernel of the idea that is that's in there that makes sense. Maybe it's right idea, wrong audience, wrong idea, right audience, right idea, right audience, bad execution. That execution could be like, you don't explain your idea very well. Like you actually do have the right idea if we talk to you about it, but you're not talking about it in the right way that your prospects understand. Like you don't understand who's your ideal customer. How does that customer buy? What alternatives are they looking between? Not just your software, they're looking at other options. So really just looking at an entire business. I am interested if there is a definite difference between a consulting firm and a growth agency. Are those just different words? A consulting firm, I would say, generally speaking, even these names are different in different markets. I find that what Europeans call consulting agency is what we would normally call like a software development agency here in the US. But consulting firm, I generally see it's like a temporary engagement. Like you have a mission, you get in, you accomplish a mission, you get out. Growth agency is some is generally someone who is managing some part of the business for you on some kind of retainer or a success fee, like a conversion rate enhancement firm. And you're selling the time of that individual person for those outcomes. So that's kind of what I see as some of the differences from 
from an agency, like you have like a whole bunch of people selling, you know, a, a specific expertise, usually software development or conversion enhancement or like creative design services. Whereas for me, my consulting is more on the strategy consulting side. So I help people assess like whatever situation is like, number one is like, if you don't understand what your real problem is, you're probably going to solve the wrong problem. That's sort of step one. And then second is like, how do you benchmark your business compared to other peers and best in class in your industry and then come up with a plan for growth. And then companies might decide to like, hey, this is a great plan. I'm going to take it and do it on my own. Like they don't need me after that, which is totally fine. They also might retain me as an advisor later on where I'm not implementing those changes for them, but I could be giving them certain course corrections during their their time with me and using kind of the power of my network. It's like, hey, do you know someone who does this? Hey, we're evaluating a new warehouse management system. What are the three vendors that we should talk to? These sorts of things. Whereas I find agencies are more like doing the work for you. What I'm hearing you say, Rick, is that you can kind of come in with a little bit less bias, where you can come in a little bit more objectively and say, look, I think we need to relook at this, especially on the back end, like you were saying, is that you can be a fat, uh, like a double checker a little bit where you can say this is working or this isn't. Yeah. And I would say my work really splits between like, sometimes clients come in with a plan and they just want to know, like, is this plan any good? Like, what are we not thinking about? And so then help work with them on that plan. Or if they don't have time to build a plan, I can help them build a plan from scratch, whether that's like an organizational plan or a technology roadmap or a profit and loss statement for like a new line of business, you know, that they're getting into. But it's really the bulk of my business is advisory. No, that's cool. So I actually wanted to essentially break this conversation down into three parts, right? So the three large services you provide are business assessment, strategic planning, as you just mentioned, and business optimization, which are essentially broken down into smaller services among them. So we'll kind of attack this conversation in those sections. In your initial meeting with a client, you'll perform due diligence on a business and their technology, marketing, operations, all that jazz, as well as a website audit and third-party marketplace audit. What are some of the specific things that you're looking for during that assessment process? Yeah, look, I'm looking for an org chart. I'm looking for their financials, forward-looking and planning. So like, and and backward-looking. So like, what are your last three years of cash flows and profit and loss statements by category, by product line? It depends on the time of the business. If it's a SaaS business, obviously we're looking for like number of customers and growth and acquisition. If it's a brand, it could be sales, cost of revenue, you know, contribution, variable expenses, fixed expenses, net operating margin, right? And so financials is a big part. Organizational design, any organizational issues, I'll I'll actually interview staff um, to the extent they this is part of the engagement. Again, it's consulting. It's really what the client, what does a client have a problem with that I can help solve? And that's really why I'm here. If I don't, if they don't want me to talk to their staff, I I won't. And so that's that's part of it. And then kind of technology and architecture diagram. So like people process technology looking at their business like, this is how we're doing business today. This is our goal. This is where we want to be. First of all, just making sure that they have a proper goal. They Sometimes they want me to help them come up with that goal because I worked with a baby car seat manufacturer last year and they were a couple hundred million dollar business and they were making like $3 million online. And they know they could be making more. It just has never been a priority for them. But like how much more is the question they came to me with? 
And so part of that is just understanding like what is the e-commerce potential of this business? So uh, helping them come up with that goal. Then once you understand what the goal is and how they want to serve the customer, you can actually understand like what capabilities do we need? You need a website, you need dropship software, you need a marketing agency, you need you know this technology, you need an organization to run those software platforms if you're not going to outsource them all. And then you start to put together a roadmap, like what things do I do first, second, third? Like what is my punch list literally of things to do? I need like, okay, if I'm going to need Shopify, I need to find an agency unless I have like developer on sound staff, which one should I pick? How much is that going to cost me? Like helping them. So all those things go into like, I'm a little bit blurring between assessment and, and planning here, but assessment is really kind of the first part of that is like, what's the current state? Yeah. Cause what I'm hearing you say, Rick, is that there's kind of a difference between, you know, identifying specifically maybe the answer to a question, you know, it sounds, it sounds like in, in your example, a company says we're leaving money on the table, how much money? And then you go, okay, we're leaving, you're leaving X amount of dollars on the table, but here's why, or here's how to solve that problem. You know, and, and that's kind of where I hear the strategic planning part come in is, is you could actually assess, answer some questions, start to work towards a problem and solution under that that foundation. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And kind of going back to the assessment part, I mean, really assessment is the beginning of any engagement because otherwise, if you don't know the client's business, you're, you know, might as well ask someone on the internet because you're not going to get good advice. But assessment is really popular on its own as part of due diligence. So if company A wants to buy company B, really the question in your kind of terminology, it's like, is this a good company or not? And if I acquire this firm, what's going to break first if I try to grow it? Those are usually the assessment questions. Particularly like for an investor, if you're buying a company, those things happen pretty quickly, like within a number of weeks and months. And so they want me to come in, parachute in, analyze as much as I can in two weeks and give them my best guess for like, is this good or not? And tell them the risks. And then I, you know, hit the ejector seat and then, then I'm out. Yeah, how long can we stretch it until it snaps, right? Right, exactly. So part of the RMW brand is being able to bring an outside perspective, like we were talking about, to a company's inner workings. But in that process, also acting like a proprietor, you know, as if it's your own money is, is what your website says. So how do you approach both of these seemingly opposite uh, philosophies simultaneously? Yeah, look, I mean, part of it is just the people I, I hire and bring to engagements. So I bring other operators to engagements. Now, look, there's, there's different type of people that can analyze a business. Obviously, there are people who have been professional consultants their whole career. They've never run their own business, but they, they like telling other people how to run their businesses. And seemingly, that's what I'm doing now. But for most of my career, probably 95% of it, I was actually operating businesses. And so I think that's the kind of the mindset I bring to an engagement is if a client is asking me, like, how much is this worth? Where should I spend this money? that will make me the most money or avoid the most costs, like whatever it is their goal is, my job, and, and at least the way I consider my job is like, how can I spend this money as if it were my own? Because I think, I personally think that's very rare in the consulting business because it's very easy to spend someone else's money very freely. And so the more practical I can make 
plans, the easier it is for clients to implement those plans. No, that's a good answer. I, I, I totally understand that. Is it safe to assume, just moving on to the, the next section, that the strategic planning portion is the linchpin or the foundation of the services you provide? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely some of the most common services I provide. Usually it's it's a specific question. For instance, I want to enter a new market. I have these three choices. Help me decide which new market to enter and why. You know, the question I asked before, like, if we're going to make this a much larger e-commerce business, how much larger could it be and how do we get there? That's a strategic planning exercise. Those are just very common examples of, of those areas. But every strategic planning you know, exercise naturally starts with some assessment because obviously you, you have to understand the starting point. With an assessment, you don't necessarily need to know a goal. You just need to know what it is today. As part of the next step that's unique in a strategic plan, in addition to actually making the plan, is to, is to help the client really shape what the goal should be. And is it a good goal or not? Like, what's a realistic goal? Yeah, yeah. And and that's part of your responsibility, right? And these companies will, will come in. This is totally out of curiosity. Will a company come in, essentially ask you to answer this question for them? You know, what? where are we leaving money on the table? You just actually gave a really good example. But then they actually get your answer and then go to a different growth agency or consulting firm? So, 100%. Okay. How does that make you feel? Yeah. I, no, no. Look, to me, it's great because my goal is diagnosis and planning. I'm not trying to run conversion rate optimization company. I'm not trying to run a design services firm. You know, like there's a lot of types of businesses I'm not trying to run. And the way I talk to agencies is like, Imagine the client doesn't know what they want yet, and you try to talk to them. And you ask any agency, like, what does that hap What happens to you when you do that? Usually, it means that you're not going to close any business for like two years because the client still hasn't figured out if this is an important problem, how important is it, how much they're willing to pay for it. You know, do I do this now or later, etc. Like, who they're going to sign it to internally. To me, I could be like a good friend of an agency because I can talk to the client six to eight months before they're ready to get an agency and to help them decide like, these are the types of agencies you should be looking at. I, my goal is to be on the, gone. it's a good way to put it because one of the ways I describe it is like, I want to be on the brand side of the table as they navigate change, which I think is rare in the industry because otherwise, like imagine you're a CEO of a brand, you're getting pitched all day. You know, every agency is like, oh, we're going to build this for you. And one says, oh, you don't have to build this yourself. You can get it off the shelf. The next one says, oh, this has to be totally custom because your business is unique and it's going to look much better if it's custom. Those are hugely different total cost of ownership over the next couple of years. It could mean different like hiring. It could mean you may not have the margin to support that, but the agency is never going to know that because they're just pitching what they know how to do. And Rick, that puts you in an extremely advantageous position when other companies are clearly you know, pitching what they think the solution or the answer is because it aligns with the services that they provide. You could actually come in and since you're not really trying to solve the problem, you're just trying to help in whatever faction that you possibly can. You can look at all of them and say, I like this. This is bullshit. I like this. You know, <laughs> I mean, you can actually really advocate on behalf of the client in a transparent way, you know? Yeah. And look, I'll be honest, like every agency, every software platform doesn't necessarily like that. So like if you're platform A, 
and they want to send you business. They want to know that you're not going to send it to somebody else. But the reality is with enough time on task, like my job is just to be open. I want to have relationships with anyone and I don't want a bad, like my goal isn't a bad mouth anyone. So like, I'm just saying like if company A wants me to help them adopt company A, the only way I would send them to company B is if like it was just a bad fit. And before I sent them somewhere else, I would go back to company A and we would have a conversation about it. Like, this is what I learned. You thought it was a fit for them. Can you explain to me now that you know these things, is it still a fit? And sometimes I've even found that those companies are like, yeah, you know what? It's not a fit. They like fess up to it. That's actually uh, illuminating. And I also think it's like, it's very valuable for clients because then I can go back to the client saying like, actually, both of these companies pitched you. I went back to both of them and actually company A bowed out. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it easier for them to make a decision, you know? Exactly. They don't have to sit and waffle for six to eight months or something like that. Exactly. So strategic planning, right? That this stage is is broken down into supply chain and logistics planning, a DTC growth plan, uh, go-to-market planning. Which of these plans is the most overlooked by clients and and usually requires the most overhaul? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it depends on the type of customer. You know, if they're coming to me, it's because usually the brand has been around for a while and has it's very used to selling through stores and retail and like big box like Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart and Target. And they're not as used to selling like you know, the up and coming Shopify brands, like they're just not used to selling online, at least as a percentage of their revenue, usually it's very small. And so direct to consumer is kind of an afterthought. It's like no one's primary job. And so particularly if a new investor buys a brand and sees an opportunity, like, look, this is a good brand. People like the brand, but you have no relationship with your customer. Like you've outsourced all the selling to the retailers. You can't go to a website and and like buy directly from the manufacturer and you can't like tell your brand story. And I think you'll know that as like a, as a brand promoter and designer, you need a place to tell your story. And before that used to be like your fifth Avenue store in New York city. Now, you know, your story on, on your phone, whether it's through social channels or through your own website or. Or, or whatever it is. And so and oftentimes in a very concise way, you know, in 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 140 characters or less type of way. A hundred percent. And so these types of brands understand that look, we need to change the way we do business as a brand to get closer to our consumers, attract more younger consumers to the brand rather than just people who are, who are shopping in stores. And as a result, we need to to add a direct consumer line of business. And so I I kind of help them through that planning process. No, that's great. The last section of services that you provide is business optimization. Is your goal during this stage to optimize business operations as soon as possible? Or once you implement the plans provided in the strategic planning stage? I would say there's two types of optimization projects. One is where it was my plan already. Meaning like, this is what I told you to do. And you want me to stay involved with you as as I hire agencies for you, help you hire the right staff to execute this change, help integrate these software systems through you know the configuration of my team or uh, an integration firm that you know that we we help you hire and then project manage this entire project through it's a mix of like strategy, project management, and then like coordination between multiple vendors and the and the staff of the of the brand or company that tends to be sort of the bigger change management projects i'm just using an example if someone's moving from like salesforce commerce cloud to shopify plus and that's a big project 
especially if you're a hundred million dollar brand, you have multiple software systems that all need to be taken care of and move into new infrastructure before you're able to put a new website live. And so we can help you through that process. We're not going to design and code your website. We're not going to market it for you. We're going to help identify like who's doing those things. This part is your team is doing. This part, you've hired a, a marketing agency to do it. We can help you do that. This part, a design build firm is going to do it. So that's just, that's one example, like in a replatform, which is helping guide a replatform effort is is one of the services that we've we've done quite a number of times. And during that kind of project management is, is what I'm hearing you say, Rick, are you guys or is the client making sure that no stone is left unturned? It's really our job to make sure no stone is unturned. But look, the reality is everything is a collaboration. We'll have a baseline plan and we'll help we'll plan as much as we can with the client and then we'll lead planning sessions with all the vendors that are involved in the projects because a project like that a lot of times these big projects that are three to six months long they're a team effort and multiple different parties all have a part to play and so our job is to make sure that every vendor knows these are your requirements these are the dates you need to hit and this is the budget you need to hit based on discussion with the clients and our you know and if there is something missing, you know, kind of similar to the other discussion, like for us acting like operators, the more we can act like an operator, the, the more the client sees us as an extension of their team, unless they see us as like somebody they have to manage. They see us as like somebody who's like taking care of stuff for them. They don't need another thing to, to worry about or to make yeah. or to kind of like watch over or helicopter. So yeah, our job is like, that we go back to the client and we're like, Hey, you forgot, like you told me you were going to do the same because this vendor needs it because this project needs to get done. And so sometimes we go back to the clients and you're like, these are the three things you need to do by this date and, and help them understand what they need to produce. I can um, understand the amount value that like accountability can have in that sort of scenario, you know, where, where it's nothing like strict. It's just people all trying to do their jobs to make the most successful thing possible. So I appreciate that. Our, our companies, we talked about this a little bit, but our companies typically working with you from, you know, this kind of front to back process, or do they pick and choose some of these services, you know? Yeah. I mean, the biggest projects, it's more front to back. I would say medium-sized project that's usually starting, sometimes it can start at strategic planning and then continue into some kind of change management project or optimization. And sometimes it's like, okay, we already know what we want to do. We just want you to help us execute it. So it's like this project management part on it, or it's maybe it's like, if it's a software company, Sometimes people come to us with a specific project and we dive in and we discover that that's, this is not the real problem. Like, so what the client thought the problem was, isn't the real problem with the business. I'm going to use an example, like, you know, a company said that, Hey, we want to expand it to new markets. Like this is the business today. We want to expand to one of these three markets, A, B, or C help us, help me pick A, B, or C. That's really the mission. And it turns out you dive into the business and they have plenty enough business in their current market. They're already doing three things and they're doing none of them well enough. But one of their things that they're doing has much more potential than the others. And if they actually remove things that they're doing today, their business will be much more successful because they'll serve the most profitable customers better. So you're actually kind of answering their question with a question in terms of like, you, you know, it's like they, they come to you and say, which one of these markets is better, A, B, or C? And you're, and you kind of say, why are you worried about that? This is the real problem, you know? Exactly. You know, it's almost like 
that problem is like, okay, you have a bucket and you're trying to fill the bucket faster. Really, you have like a hole in the bottom of the bucket. And so I'm like, let's fill, let's fill the bottom of the bucket first. And then we can talk about how to fill the bucket faster. Are clients hesitant when another problem is really brought to the table? I guess really my actual question is, is what changes are clients and companies the most hesitant to implement? Is it stuff like that or, or other things? I would say part of it is staffing challenges. Company just literally doesn't have enough money to to make the changes required. And sometimes I think this results in this them not hiring me because I'm, I try to be as honest up, as upfront as I can with someone who's so like, okay, you want me to review your, your company and tell you the good and the bad. One question I ask them is like, who wants to hear the bad? And if the answer is no one really wants to hear the bad, then maybe you don't want a consultant, to, to be honest with you, because you're going to pay me money I'm going to give you something, but you're not going to do anything with it. And so having that, sometimes what I find is that like the CEO knows something needs to change, but then the team is like very comfortable with what they want to do now. And is that kind of like from a, I don't know, an ignorance is bliss perspective where where I like the status quo and I don't like change and, and we're doing fine, but the CEO knows that we're bleeding, we're hemorrhaging, you know? It could be job security of the existing staff because they set up this custom process. So there's like, people get comfortable doing what they're doing and they think tomorrow is going to be like today, but the market is is changing. Like your competitors are changing, your customers are changing. And if you stay static, a lot of CEOs know that because they started the business and they know how hard it was. But then if you hire people who are maintaining the business, they just assume it's going to stay forever like the same. That's some challenge that you find in consulting projects where sometimes people don't want to change enough. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And and that actually brings me to the next question. What would you say? I know that you deal with a lot of complicated and specific problems. What would you consider the number one obstacle that clients typically come to you with? Number one obstacle, usually it's what they don't know. I mean, they're coming to me for expertise, but they're also coming to me because of trust. My goal is is to convey expertise, but expertise is everywhere. Like you can ask ChatGPT what to do. You can ask Google what to do. You'll get 100 answers for just simple questions. There are like a million diets. Like how should I lose weight? Like which diet should I pick? It's the same thing in e-commerce, the same thing everywhere. And so trust is 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 really kind of like the foundation of how I see my business is expertise is everywhere. But trust is is one of the most important things because... If you don't have trust, then the expertise actually doesn't matter because you're just going to say like, oh, this is probably true. But then if the next time someone else sounds something that like sounds right, then you're going to give it equal weight. And then like, you know, a relationship can be hierarchical in that aspect where instead of it being a, you know, trustworthy, authentic, real relationship, it is I'm paying you to give me specific. It's so transactional that it, it doesn't feel as tactile or real, if I'm being honest. And I think that that acumen to actually build authentic relationships is foundational and is what separates some companies from from others in an extremely competitive market. You know. So before we wrap up, I always ask our guests essentially a question revolving around. The fact that the e-commerce industry is moving constantly. We, we were just talking about how it is constantly changing. And as someone in, in your position, 
I know you're you're always on call. So it's important to me and I think to a lot of other people in this community to establish work-life harmony and stable mental health and try to try to find like, you know, stress-free serenity a little bit, honestly. So my question to you, Breck, is is what are some of the hobbies and interests that you pursue to ensure work-life harmony? Look, first of all is being able to shut it off. I know I don't work till 10 o'clock. I try to shut it off at like six. So that's to me, number one. Second is like, I don't answer emails after hours. That's one for me. So I try to preserve my weekends. The problem is always, always going to be there on Monday. There'll be time to solve the problem then. It is somewhat the benefit of consulting is like, if I don't answer a question in an hour, like a website is not going to go down. You know, it's a problem that can be answered t- tomorrow in business hours, right? So that's that. I think that's number one. Second is like, you know, I enjoy running, uh, you know, working out. Um, I like going to theater and Broadway and, and music shows. So those are things I have fun doing. I grew up in New Orleans, so I love like jazz music and, and things. And so like going to music shows has always been in fun of me and finding finding good restaurants to, to go to is cool as well. That's nice. I think being able to find those boundaries is, is really key. I appreciate you saying that. And I've been to New Orleans a couple times and I loved it down there. Might even be too much fun for me. I, I don't know if I could like live down there, but look, Rick, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your insight and good luck with your consulting firm. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Alex. Great to be here. I'd like to thank my guest, Rick Watson, for joining me on the show and come back on Tuesday when I talk with Dwayne Brown, the CEO and head of strategy for Take Some Risk, which specializes in growth strategy, PPC marketing, and revenue optimization. For more information about Rick, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. And to learn more about RMW Commerce Consulting, you can check out their website, rmwcommerce.com. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until next time.